Welcome to Paper Boys. We're really glad that you're joining us today. We have an awesome episode about Osiris Rex, which is a totally hipster new mission that's uh, going to actually collect a sample from an asteroid that's sort of near the Earth, and it's going to return it to Earth so we can analyze it. They just came out with some really cool science, and there's also been tons of headlines about it lately. So we dove into the paper and covered some cool research. Charlie, we're just giving the listeners a ton of hipster fodder with these latest fringe science episodes about uh, <laughs> spacecraft and planets and asteroids. Yeah, we're on a we're on a space kick right now. Absolutely. I think it, this is super interesting episode for me to learn about. Um, so I'm glad you brought it in. Um, this mission is going to be really exciting with a lot of uh, exciting events coming up in August of next year. But this is just showing some of the really interesting science that's coming out of just the approach to this asteroid. So if you're interested at all in science and space, this is an episode for you. If you're interested at all in science, I mean, I assume anyone who's here right now is. But If you hate science, just turn it off. Don't listen. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we hope you enjoy the show. If you like listening to things, uh, this is an episode for you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. My name is Charlie, here as usual with my favorite co-host, James. Thanks, Charlie. You are equally my favorite co-host. <laughs> we need to be meaner to each other, I think. Yeah. People are getting sick of how friendly we are. You jerk. <laughs> is that good? Yeah, that's a good start. Yeah. If, uh, if you think that was mean enough, let us know. Paper Boys Pod. <laughs> Yeah, but seriously, actually, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at PaperboysPod. Also, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash PaperboysPod. We have bonus episodes. This month is about the anti-vaccine movement. Yeah, you've probably heard a lot about it in the news, like with instances of measles at Disneyland. For this bonus episode, we actually covered sort of the original anti-vax paper that sparked the movement in England and across the world. And spoiler... The paper was retracted yeah. several years ago, which it, gives you a sense of like how much controversy there is around this topic. Yeah, it was doused in fraud and conflict of interest and, you know, money under the table. Yeah, yeah. So and, there are a lot of cool stuff that we kind of uncovered through this. I mean, we didn't uncover. We covered the uncovering of this. And uh, I think it gives a lot of insight into kind of where all this stuff came from. Mm -hmm. You're obviously familiar with anti-vaxxers, but, you know, what is it based on? So... Check that out on our Patreon. You can also, we actually now officially have videos of the bonus episodes. And this one is our first official out of beta test video. Uh, we got new cameras. It all looks much better. Audio is better. It's Check. professional quality, I'll say. <laughs> Pre-professional yeah. quality, maybe. It's getting there. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Patreon.com slash paperboyspod. So Charlie, can you tell us a little bit about what what paper you have for us today? Yeah, so today is going to be all about Osiris Rex. Do you know what that is? I have heard of that. It has been a couple of years since I heard anything recently, mostly out of my own blinders and the dark hole that I live in <laughs> in grad school. But um, it's a NASA spacecraft, right? Yeah, so it's a satellite that NASA launched in 2016, I think. 
to go visit an asteroid, an asteroid called Bennu. Hmm. And it arrived at the asteroid Bennu in 2018, like very late 2018. So basically a year ago. Where is the asteroid Bennu? It's a near-Earth asteroid. So it's, okay. it's orbiting the sun, but in a similar orbit to Earth's. So they pass by close to each other and they sort of exist in a similar area. Wow. So it took two years, though, for their actual orbits to finally converge. Yeah, it had to do, I think, like some Earth flybys and some, you know, gravity assists and propulsion and stuff to get there. But cool, cool. Yeah. So- but so it OSIRIS-REx has been orbiting this asteroid Bennu for the last year, and they're doing all kinds of cool science. But what's really exciting about the mission is that it actually is going to go down, touch down on the surface of the asteroid and collect a sample. Wow. Come back up and bring the sample back to Earth. Is this the... Is this the first time that we've ever been able to do that, to bring back a sample from some interplanetary object? Uh, no, actually, the Hayabusa spacecraft that Japan sent out mm-hmm. did that already once. Okay. And now they're putting, they're doing a second one, Hayabusa 2. Is that the spacecraft that shot a bullet into the asteroid that it's orbiting? I think it did, yeah. It picked uh, up some media probably a couple months or like a year ago yeah and hayabusa 2 actually just back in july landed on an asteroid again so this is a follow-up to the original mission which happened i think maybe like 10 years ago or so uh hayabusa 2 is out there it's already collected its sample and it's now i think they're in the process now of trying to get that back okay so it's been done before i don't think nasa has done it nasa has brought samples back from space okay uh, stardust mission but i think that that was taking samples from a comet oh i remember seeing an exhibit about that at the national air and space museum yeah the smithsonian yeah they have the uh the aerogel that is so cool and strange it's like the least dense material on earth or something yeah um is that what it's called aerogel or is aerogel or hydrogel yeah the and it looks like a little cloud basically yeah it's like a solid thing and it, it takes so much willpower to just not touch it yeah, but so Stardust, it, it went through like the coma of a comet mm-hmm. uh, and collected kind of the stuff that was trailing behind it. Okay. But so OSIRIS-REx is NASA's mission that will collect an asteroid sample from Bennu and return it to Earth. And there's a lot of reasons why we want to do this kind of stuff. Well, first of all, let me just say OSIRIS-REx is the most obnoxious acronym of all time. Why? Well, That's I don't know. A- it's a cool name, but it's just like a classic example of NASA backronym. Oh, the actual... When you actually try to pronounce what the acronym stands for, it like doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer. The acronym itself is sweet, though. OSIRIS-REx. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty badass. But So it's going to collect a 60-gram sample. Sorry, it's going to collect a 60-gram sample and return it to Earth. And uh, it's actually part of the same NASA program that launched New Horizons and Juno. Okay. So New Frontiers is this whole kind of like funding arm of NASA that is ba- that is aimed specifically at sending these sort of like medium-sized missions to like very advanced destinations. And it's, I mean, it's been awesome following these the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, several of them are still ongoing. Yeah. It's uh Yeah. So OSIRIS-REx is the third in, in a series of hopefully many more like really awesome groundbreaking missions like this. I was pretty excited to read about the fourth one that they selected. It's called mm-hmm. Dragonfly. Oh, sending a helicopter like uh, lander onto Saturn's moon Titan. Really? Yeah, that is insane. 
Yeah. I mean, that's like a decade down the road, but I hope we get like some sweet drone footage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Play like Skrillex in the background. Yeah. Uh, wow. That'll be sick. Yeah. Fun, fun fact, just tying into Osiris Rex. So it's led out of the University of Arizona, mm-hmm. which is in Tucson, which is where I'm from, which is where a friend of mine from growing up opened a brewery called Dillinger Brewery, and they became an actual Osiris Rex partner Are and released serious? a Bennu Approach Osiris Rex series beer uh, Dude, last year. That is sick. Yeah. That's really cool. An Imperial Double Stout, apparently. There we go. So check it out if you're in Tucson. Get your Osiris Rex supporting Bennu Approach beer. <laughs> That's awesome. So the question is, why are we talking about Osiris Rex today on Paperboy's podcast? Yes. Why are we? Because we only talk about things that are in the news, you know? <laughs> so what was in the news about Osiris Rex? So the latest news on Osiris Rex, there's actually been a lot, which is kind of what spurred me to do this. Now, granted, by the time this comes out, it'll be January 9th. This news will be about a month old. But still equally as interesting because James and I are sitting here recording all this before Christmas. But uh, so I guess back in October, there were, you know, this news just came out like now, but I think the event happened kind of back in October. Okay. They, there was a potential like almost failure of the mission that they sort of salvaged where part of the deep space network, which is what they used to communicate with it, mm-hmm. went down really right at the time when they needed like very critical imaging data. Damn. And it basically like they had 24 hours in which they needed this data to make the selection for their landing site. Okay. And if they didn't have the data, then they couldn't make the selection, which means they'd have to postpone the landing, which would push the mission back and maybe even like harm the, you know, hinder their ability to even do the landing. Yeah, absolutely. I guess they pulled off some quote unquote daring rescue where they crammed their 24 hour timeline into a four hour timeline and got the images they needed and. There was probably like 400% margin. They probably needed like 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean to downplay it. Yeah, no. I mean, I'll, yeah, I know what you're saying, but all the scientists were like, yeah, this was uh, pretty stressful. I bet. Um, so that made headlines this week. And then there was, uh, of course, now following up on that is headlines that they actually did select their landing site. Okay. So they selected cool. a site called Nightingale. I think they had kind of like four candidates. And what they're looking for is to try and collect a sample that will have like organic material and hydrated minerals. So there's, and they also need a site that's easy to land at. Like it doesn't have a lot of obstacles and that they'll be able to really collect what's actually there. Mm-hmm. So they pick this site that's sort of at a high latitude and uh, they're going to do their touchdown on August 25th, 2020. Wow. Okay. So. It's amazing the time scales of these things. You're like, oh my God, we got to hustle up for a landing that's going to happen in nine months. Yeah. But I mean, that's... But that's space. a short time scale in space missions, you know? Yeah. I mean, this thing is... This mission from the time it was incepted has probably been in the pipeline for like 20 years, you know? Yeah. Someone finishing their PhD, yeah. starting to like brainstorm the ideas of this mission. Do you... Um, I'm not sure if it was covered in this. Did you get any sense for how difficult the landing is going to be on Bennu? Because it's like the composition of these objects is like, we don't really know. That's part of the reason why we're going. But it's like, you know, there's like not a ton of gravity. Yeah. You don't want to like burn out your the place you're going to land and create all these divots or whatever that might flip your spacecraft. Yeah, they talked about that. So I should, I guess, clarify. It's not exactly a landing. It's okay. like a touchdown. So what they're going to do is they have this 
they have this instrument called tag sam i think which stands for touch and go sample acquisition mechanism but it's this 11 foot long arm and it's like a robotic arm that can kind of move and uh at the end of it is the sample collection tool and what they're going to do is bring osiris rex down to the surface very very slowly and with this arm outstretched and then as soon as it touches it'll do this it'll do this quick procedure where the sample's collected it's locked up and whatever and then it'll osiris rex will fly back away and so the whole thing will only take about five seconds okay so okay but your but all your questions are still valid i mean they need an area where i'm assuming the sort of gravel is loose enough to to actually collect like you don't just want to hit up on a big hard rock Mm -hmm. and then you also need an area that is clear of a bunch like tall features that you could bump the spacecraft into Uh because it's coming down slowly uh and then also you want to come down very slowly for the reason that you pointed out which is you don't want to have to do like a big thrust of your rockets to stop when you get there yeah because that's going to kick up a bunch of material and you won't truly be sampling the surface you'll be sampling something underneath and it'll be contaminated with hydrazine your rocket fuel so good point so they're, they're trying to come down as slow as they can so they don't have to shoot the rocket and, and ruin the site hmm. i mean when uh, just on the topic of landing on comets there was the rosetta mission about like four or five years ago yeah, a couple years back with the pillay lander which was so sad it was so sad that it didn't quite work out yeah i mean it was like 80 percent successful you know like it they technically landed their thing on the comet but couldn't but like it landed it's har- sideways its harpoons couldn't penetrate the ice or something and landed in a shadow yeah and so died where it actually was supposed to land instead it just bounced off and then it came back down in another location landed sideways solar panels couldn't see the sun so they got some data and then it died pretty quickly yeah but still freaking cool yeah so cool and it's a hard problem totally so all this is not actually all this is like n- sort of news releases about osiris rex but the actual science is there's also something recent. Okay. Which is like a really cool scientific discovery that Osiris Rex has made. So then this brings me like 15 minutes into our discussion already. What was the paper that you found about this? So the paper, well, so I'll, I guess I'll read this one headline from Physics World says Osiris Rex spacecraft spots particles ejected from asteroid and selects landing spot. Uh, all the rest of the headlines have to do with the selecting of a landing site. Like Gizmodo says, Osiris-Rex team will boop this spot on asteroid Pennu. And Popular Mechanics says, X marks the spot. Osiris-Rex is headed to Nightingale Crater. Which, can we just talk about what a missed opportunity that headline is? should be Rex marks the spot. <laughs> How did you miss that? Yeah. Osiris-Rex. Anyway, the Physics World headline is the only one that touched on the actual science that just came out, which was a paper published in the journal Science on December 6, 2019, called Episodes of Particle Ejection from the Surface of the Active Asteroid 101955 Bennu. And the first author is Dante Loretta, who's the principal investigator of the OSIRIS-REx mission, uh, who is from the University of Arizona, as you mentioned. And there's like dozens of authors all coming from 22 different institutions. I mean, this was like a huge author list mm-hmm. and like a very involved uh, piece of research. Okay. Wow. And it's also open access. Nice. Which is really great. So check, awesome. the, check out the link on our website and uh, you can take a look at the paper. There's some really cool graphics in it. 
Oh, I bet. So you mentioned, can we go back to the title for a second? Mm-hmm. You mentioned an active ejection. What's an active ejection? So uh, particle ejection from the active asteroid Bennu. So this is... Oh, okay. So Sorry. this is what actually is so cool about the paper. So I guess this idea of like an active asteroid is really interesting to scientists. An active asteroid just means that it's an asteroid that is losing mass through processes of like ejecting material, mm-hmm. which suggests that something volatile is there okay. or that there's some process that is like, you know, slowly destroying the asteroid. Yeah. So that's very, very interesting prospect. Bennu, our observations did not indicate that it was an active asteroid, but it had a really similar, uh, I guess, spectral signature to other active asteroids we knew about. And that's part of why we selected it as a destination. So we could study okay. it as sort of like an analog for these active asteroids and learn more about them. Okay. Because, I mean, like water is a volatile. So if we understand how this is happening on asteroids, which ultimately form planets, then we can understand sort of the origin of volatiles on Earth. Wow. Okay. I see how I see how that's connected. Cool. I mean, this is like, this is going straight to the source, basically. Well, so here's what's interesting is they... they thought Bennu was an inactive asteroid, but that it just had a similar signature. So it was going to be an analog. But what this paper actually shows is that when you look up close, we find Bennu is actually an active asteroid. Wow. So, so this I mean, is like kind of groundbreaking. I mean, this could be, is it sort of like a cloud then where you, it starts with just a small seed, like maybe in a hundred million years or something like that, Bennu could start becoming a bigger planet. Or no, no, no. So active asteroids are losing mass. Like it's, oh, I, it's right. shooting that, that stuff was a dumb off. Question. Yeah, it's shooting stuff off. Okay. So what this paper is reporting then is there were three specific like distinct events that it observed from orbit where particles were ejected from the surface and like like kind of blew up and like shot off. And they actually have this really cool video where they recreated one of these ejections. Really? And like, yeah, it shoots off a bunch of particles and they like all fling around. Some of them orbit around and crash back into the asteroid. And some of them go off into space and never come back. And wow. I mean, that must be a somewhat significant amount of energy for these things to actually pop off out of the orbit. I mean, I'm sure the gravitational pull of the asteroid isn't huge, but... So they actually characterize the amount of energy. And it's actually smaller than you think. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's okay. pretty cool. All right. Well, I'm excited to learn more about that. So you mentioned they put together a video... What did they actually do to image this? Is there just like a camera on Osiris, Iris, Osiris Rex or is there a specific instrument they had to use to do this? Uh, yeah. So the video that they posted is not like a, it's not like a movie. You it's know, not, like it's not Osiris. put together from actual images. It's not from the GoPro that's on there. <laughs> no, I wish. But uh, it's, it's a video of like a computer simulation. But the computer simulation is the actual ejection that happened. So Okay. So the way that they observed these objections is um, by using the navigation camera on OSIRIS-REx. So they have this camera, and every two hours it takes it takes a set of four images. So it'll take one short exposure image where they can see the asteroid surface, and then one long exposure image where they can see the star, like the background star field. Oh, cool. And so they use those two as like, here's where we are right now. And then seven minutes later, they do the same thing. And so they just have... a short kind of gap between them and uh and they do that every two hours and that tells them where they are around the asteroid and what they noticed is in some of these pictures they started to notice these like flecks 
around the asteroid that had moved in the seven minutes between. Really? Yeah. Huh. And they were like, well, I mean, these are obviously little particles that are moving around Osiris or moving around Bennu. Okay. So they didn't really have any indication that Bennu was an active asteroid like you mentioned before this? Uh, Almost. So as they were approaching Bennu in like November of 2018... Uh-huh. They took some. Uh, they were taking some images, and they were trying to detect if there was any activity like this when they were still far away. And they didn't come up with anything. I think they had one like lidar measurement that showed there was some activity going on, but then they couldn't really confirm it when they dug into the data or when they tried to like use other data to support it. Okay, I'm just curious from like the context of seeing this. So they're like, sounds like this is something that they wanted to verify. But so far, they didn't have any evidence. So they're like, it's still probably a bit of a surprise to see these these specks. I think a lot of a surprise, yeah, because our measurements from Earth had told us that it was not an active asteroid. And then their measurements en route, when they were much closer, told them it's not active. Wow. So they saw these things kind of fortuitously. And then they were like, all right, let's see if we can observe more. And so they shortened their... They shortened the image gap from two hours to like 30 minutes and then down to like 20 minutes. And they did that for like a month to try and see if they could observe more of these events. And they did. Okay. So the first one that they observed was on January 6th, 2019. And uh, I have a picture of it here. We'll post We'll post this picture on the website. Or it's from the paper. It's figure 1A from the paper. And you That's can actually awesome. see, yeah, like asteroid with like all these kind of white flecks. I mean, they almost look like stars, but... They're not where stars should be. I mean, it's just like uh, it's like there's a hockey player on the ice doing a little hockey stop and yeah. off the sp- the little flecks of ice. Yeah, it's like a little spray of stuff. Hockey player shown for scale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then in, well, after they saw that, they increased the frequency and they're really looking for these things. They found two more. One was on January 19th and the other one was on February 11th, 2019. Quick question. What I think you may have said this earlier on, but how big is... Bennu, roughly, like diameter? Oh, I don't think I mentioned this. It's 500 meters in diameter. Oh, okay. And OSIRIS-REx is orbiting around it at a distance of like a kilometer or so. Okay, so I mean, everything's pretty close in. Oh, yeah, yeah. And when they, I mean, and like when they show pictures of up close on the surface, there's like a little scale bar and it's like, oh, that bar is 10 meters. Huh. And you're looking at this surface and you're like, wow, I mean, if there was a person standing there, you would see them. That's so crazy. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. I mean, we're really up close to this thing. It's still, I mean, it's kind of puts me into disbelief that this is even possible. I know that we're like orbiting an asteroid right now. Also, I was was just reading an article about this on Wikipedia beforehand. So the total cost of OSIRIS-REx, it looks like was like 800 million, Mm -hmm. not counting launch costs. Mm -hmm. So imagine this is like, this isn't like the most expensive type of project that NASA does, but it's pretty expensive. Mm Mm-hmm. So you imagine for that chunk of money, people have been doing a ton of legwork to make sure, you know, the right asteroid, the right mission and all this and to show up and still be like surprised. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of the point. If you knew it already, you wouldn't go there. But, uh, you know, for this big classification of active or non-active or inactive and like, I guess it's hard. It just shows that it's hard from this distance to actually make that call. There's no other way to do it except unless you're up close. And it makes you wonder, I mean, you know, we've only been up close to a handful of asteroids. It makes you wonder how well we actually know all the asteroids we've observed just from Earth. 
Yes. If we're classifying them in these certain ways, and then we get up close and we find out, well, the classification of this one is wrong. That's one, you know, one out of seven data points or something. Then, like, does it mean we're wrong about a lot of other asteroids? Just look at the diversity of the moons. Like we had the series on oh, yeah. Enceladus and Europa, yeah. and it's like those moons are pretty similar and they're drastically different. Yeah. We didn't even talk about Titan or whatever. Yeah, so, it's crazy. Anyways, coming back to it. So you mentioned there were several different events of this, this like active ejection. Yeah. What sort of things did they learn from that? Like, could they characterize them as, were they pretty much the same each time or can they get much data from that? Yeah, I mean, so the good thing about having three different observations is that you can kind of understand like what's normal and what's not. So they did a lot of data crunching on them. So the way that they went and actually analyzed these events is uh, when you have those two images seven minutes apart, you can compare where the particles were in the first image compared to the second image. And they can then take more images and try and get a longer trace of it. But what's really neat about, you know, the orbital mechanics, like when you're just doing calculations like this, if you have an object's position and velocity, then you can completely determine the shape of its orbit. Okay. So by looking at um, these two pictures, they have position from what the picture is and then velocity from how much it moved between the two images. Because, oh. you know, they know how far apart they're taken. Yeah. So they can calculate the position and velocity of every single particle that's in the image. Wow. And then they can map the orbit of every single particle. So and if that... you do that, you can trace the orbits back to where they originated and you find that all the orbits converge at one point on the surface. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I was just watching the video that you posted here, which will be on the website. So they basically had to, they were like extrapolating this backwards to the yeah. origin. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. That's so, really neat. So that's kind of how they went about analyzing, well, A, I mean, that that it was an ejection from the surface. Mm-hmm. And then for each one, they kind of looked at, well, when did it happen and where did it happen and how many particles were released and what did they look like? So for the January 6th event, which they weren't expecting to find, they didn't have as much data on it. Um, So things were a little less clear, but they think that it originated from this high southern latitude and then it happened around 4 p.m. local solar time. Okay. So this is something I had to try and understand as I went. But, you know, Bennu is rotating and it has a north pole and a south pole that they've defined. and, And so you can think of it as having days. Yeah. The way Earth does. And so you can define like where it is in its rotation by by time the same way that we do on earth mm-hmm. so you know 4 p.m local solar time if you lived on the surface of Bennu, it would be late afternoon you yeah know, the sun's gonna set soon like same kind of things that we experience here okay what's the ro- rotational period do you know off that chance? i don't know i want to say it's short okay i mean yeah it's a small object so it rotates once every 4.3 hours so one day on Bennu would be 4.3 hours. Okay. Anyway, so this happened around 4 p.m. local solar time. And uh, then they looked at the event that happened on January 19th. They had a lot more images so they could get a really accurate like trajectory simulation of this. And so they modeled 24 of the particle orbits. And I think they detected something like 200 particles. Wow. So they took 24 of them, they modeled it, and they identified the exact location of origin. And it was exactly at... Latitude 20 degrees north, longitude 335 degrees, which I think is so cool to be like, 
And then they show a picture of up close on the surface. They were like, this point right here is exactly where the rocks came from. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And what's weird, though, is when they show the picture, there's not like a crater there. Yeah? Yeah, it's like pretty indistinguishable from the rest of the surface. Okay. Um, I mean, that brings up my next question of like, there's no crater. What what did it? I mean, that, I don't know. I could imagine some other object hits it and ejects these particles. Maybe. We'll get to that. Man. We'll get to that. The mystery. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. All right. I want to talk about what they observed first and then now, and then we can go into how they explained it. All right. So for this, so for the second event, the January 19th one, they found it, it also occurred at 4.38 PM local solar time. So Mm. also in the late afternoon. Also. Coincidence or not. Oh, okay. Also at the same lat long. Uh, no, sorry. So that, that's the one that I was just talking about. 20 degrees north, 335 degrees. Uh, the velocities of the particles as they left the surface were between like six centimeters per second and 1.3 meters per second. Okay. So it's actually not that fast. And the, and the particles are small. So this is how they're going to end- eventually calculate the energy you were asking about before. Okay. So, the- and I guess they were able to, given the cadence of, or the intervals at which they're taking pictures, it's like these particles were moving super fast. There's no way they would even catch them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, okay. That could, okay. Uh, um, and you'll see that when you go check out the video of the simulation, you know, Bennu is rotating. And if you just picture in your mind, well, that full rotation took four hours and the, the particles don't even complete a full orbit in that time. Okay. Like they're just really slowly drifting around. What was really cool about the event on January 19th is that they observed like a small ejection right before the main event happened, like just a couple minutes before. Really? Yeah. And so it sort of suggests there was like this little burp. <laughs> right before the actual explosion. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So then for February 11th, they did the same thing again. They found it was at 20 degrees north, 60 degrees longitude, and it happened at around 6.05 p.m. local solar time. Wow. I mean, so these are all at 20 degrees north, though. That's true. Those two were both 20 degrees north. I think the first event was at a southern latitude. Oh, okay. All right. Never mind. But still, both of those at the same uh, at the same latitude, and the velocities on the third event were slower. But hmm. um, but it's cool. Like in this event, they had really good data on it, and they actually found they actually observed like some of the particles were launched off the surface, and then they came back around slowly back, and they landed again on like the backside of the asteroid. Neat. And then they also saw some other particles were launched off fast enough that they actually escaped Bennu's gravity, and they just flung off into space. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. It's making me think back to the Europa episode that you covered. You're on like a, a good streak with particle ejection on small bodies and oh, you mean Enceladus? Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Enceladus. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, man. This is re- this is like maybe this is what I should go get my second PhD in. You could become a professional particle streaker. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun, man. This is like really cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the one that happened on February 11th is what the video is actually of. So that gives you like a really good character okay. characteristic event of like, oh, some of it flung off into space and some of it came back around. And Do you have an idea like how much these things weighed? I, mean, I see you have the like velocities and yeah, so I mean, they must know the mass from it. Then. No, that's a great question. Um, so then they went and analyzed and they tried to do that analysis. Okay. So uh, this is like a little harder. I mean, they can already put a solid constraint on the density of the objects because they know the density of Bennu itself. 
and it's just made up. I mean, Bennu is basically just like they think it's a bunch of boulders held together by gravity. Wow. So like they already sort of understand its morphology pretty well. Mm-hmm. So they can say, well, the particles are going to be like that. So once you put that constraint on it, then what they do, this is actually cool. If you've listened to our episode about Oumuamua, that when those Harvard I researchers have. like, well, I know you have, I'm <laughs> saying to the listeners, there are these Harvard researchers who like thought that this interplan- or interstellar asteroid could be like an alien spacecraft or something. Anyway, yeah. But the analysis they do there is we understand the orbit should be a certain shape based on just gravitational forces. So what you do is you look at how it how it drifts away from like the purely gravitational case. Mm-hmm. And then you model what effects would cause that to happen. And it can and it gives you an idea of what the shape and size of the particles are. Okay. So based on the way that they were slightly like perturbed, um, they could actually determine the sizes of the particles were on the order of like 10 centimeters all the way down to like less than a centimeter. Hmm. So they're pretty small. It's like, yeah, like a baseball. Yeah, like, or smaller. Exactly, like little rocks. Like, yeah, from the size of like a pebble to a softball. It's just making me think like, kind of like Ender's Game when they first get into space and they're, it's like their first real experience with zero gravity. Like, how cool would it be to just like have the opportunity to go like play ball on Play Bennu baseball in space, yeah. And just like to f- like physically and intuitively gain this understanding of what this like super low gravitational field is like but still being in the presence of gravity and like you could throw a baseball around it and have it come back to you and catch it maybe i mean yes you could it would actually probably be harder to make it come back to you than it would be to just make it leave yeah i mean like yeah if it gets launched off at like a meter per second it's gonna escape its gravitational pull wouldn't that be such a fun game you're not you'd never be bored over summer you'd be like hey want to go Huck the baseball around Bennu. Yeah, that would be sick. Yeah. Man, this is why I say if we were born like 500 years from now, this would be what we get to do. I know. Hang 10, Paul Rudd. <laughs> I'm feeling it. Yes, exactly. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> I'm looking at your notes. So what's, what's the, the deal? deal with these ejections? The question uh, stands. <laughs> well, um, well, Jerry. Thanks. So, yeah, I mean, I know you were looking for like trying to explain what could be the cause of these yeah you're not alone the scientists also did that Dang they it. stepped through like a bunch of potential hypotheses so so since they calculated the size of the particles and they kind of know the densities and and then they know the velocities they actually calculated you can actually figure out how much energy was released in each of these eruptions okay and then sum that together and you have some idea of the initial amount of energy that caused the ejection yeah, yeah, yeah. So you sum all the particles, and they found like the January sixth event had to have been at least two hundred and seventy millijoules. Okay. Uh, January nineteenth was at least a hundred millijoules, and February eleventh was at least eight millijoules. So it's I'm trying to think of how to energy. yeah how to put that into like calorie terms. Okay, so in terms of like food calories, this would be like a hundred millijoules, which is the energy that the second ejection had is 0.02 calories but not calorie calories. calorie in the sense of yeah like energy calorie not food calorie so that it would be 0.00002 food calories <laughs> worth of energy 
Okay, so maybe that's not helpful. Two like twenty micro kilocalories. Yes, exactly. So we're talking about like the M and M. The M and M you just ate is like way more. There's way more energy in the M. Like okay, yeah, cool. There's probably more energy in like your bottle of water in terms of food calories. You know. Yeah, just kicking like your kick. If you kicked it, you'd probably release more energy oh easily yeah easily cool um, that's pretty neat though to science dude science yeah science uh and so they got the energies and there's a bunch of other kind of peculiar characteristics about it um like i know I, I mentioned earlier they all occurred in late afternoon local time uh-huh the largest one happened right about when Bennu was at its closest approach to the sun and so by late afternoon this is like afternoons we understand it too like the sun is shining on this spot. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And it has been shining on it since the quote unquote morning. You know, so, so it's it's two been, hours. Right. Whatever. So it's been heating up for a fairly long amount of time by this point. Cool. Okay. So that's a little hint there. So they sort of stepped through like a bunch of hypotheses. In reality, we just don't really understand asteroids well enough to say like for sure what is happening here. And we've never observed anything like this up close. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, I'm going to qualify that statement. I don't know if we have ever observed anything like this up close. I don't think we have. Because if we had, they would have referenced it in this paper. Yeah, that's fair. No one's going to come back and be like, Paper Boys is great, except Charlie lied yeah. on that one Bennu episode. I mean, some people probably will come back and say that. But some, yeah. The Reddit space community is very unforgiving. Yeah, man. We've gotten trashed on Reddit before. <laughs> like, never post anything to our physics Yeah, if you want positive feedback. Dude, Einstein himself would probably get just... <laughs> destroyed yeah so yeah i mean they they put up a bunch of a bunch of potential causes okay and some of them they put up to say this is what it isn't and some of them they said it could be what was the most likely cause so the most likely cause uh they identified i think three things that were possible like reasonable explanations okay one is this idea of well i'll start i guess with the simplest meteoroid impacts which is what you identified earlier so if you just had little, you know, there's like space dust flying around all the time and little tiny particles and they're flinging around super fast. Yeah. Uh, they can impact Bennu. And if they do, then they would fling up a bunch of material. And yeah, I mean, you, you think about these things and they're very small, but it's like if you got hit with a very, very small grain of sand at 20,000 miles per hour. Oh, yeah. It's going to rip through you. Yeah. Yeah. So there are particles like that that are like a grain of sand and it's moving that fast. And they actually sort of went through and calculate based on the prevalence of particles like that. Mm-hmm. They, If a particle like that was able to produce an ejection like this, they would actually have observed way more obje- ejections. Oh, really? So Ben is actually being hit by particles like that way more o- often than, you know, three times in a month. It's, oh, it's like wow. every day. Really? Okay. It's being hit by stuff like that. So they sort of rule out like a certain class of meteoroids. They say it can't be these super high velocity, like small particles. And it certainly can't be high velocity, big particles, because those would release way more energy than what we observed here. Okay. They do say it's possible that it could be these small particles moving at uh, low velocities, because those are ones that could actually be capable of like kicking up material that way. I guess if you hit really fast, you're not even going to like create, make a crater or anything. It just like ionizes the surface and like creates like a volume of like molten rock. 
Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you sort of have to tweak the two knobs, like reduce velocity, increase mass. Something like or that. Or some, maybe okay. even re- de- decrease mass. Like, anyway. Okay. So they say it is possible. It just it constrains what possible meteoroids it could have could have done this. Another likely explanation is this idea of thermal stress fracturing. So as Bennu is rotating, the sun is lighting up different sides of it. And when the sun's hitting it, it's warming up. And when the sun's not, it's cooling down. Mm-hmm. So every area on the surface is undergoing these like extreme thermal cycles every day. Yeah. As the surface gets hot, like the, the stuff underneath is not hasn't really caught up. And so you get this temperature gradient between the surface and like just below the surface. And that temperature gradient is strongest. Guess when? About 4 p.m. About 4 p.m. Local solar time. And so this gradient can actually cause like, and they've, they already know this to be true, that when you have these temperature gradients that rocks can fracture. Wow. And so what they're suggesting here is that you have this gradient that is strongest around late afternoon. And we happen to be at our closest approach to the sun. And so, so it's kind of adds to the cycling of this thing. And, uh, and so rocks could be fracturing and then that sort of release of energy is what kicks some stuff up into orbit. That's so cool. I mean, like if you put a rock in the fire for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's another explanation that they say is possible. So they know that Bennu is made of lots of like water-bearing minerals. Does that mean you were talking at the beginning of the episode about these hydra hydrated minerals? Is that Yeah, this? they call them like phyllosilicates or something like that. Hmm, okay. And so what they suggest is that... Uh, when you have these water-bearing minerals, like the water is adsorbed into the rock, which okay. we talked about all the way back on our Mars terraforming episode, like episode three or whatever that was. Yeah, which is basically like a gas collecting on the surface of something. It cools down and just Yeah, collects. it's just like stuck to these rocks and it's inside the rocks. And so uh, that water can like be released through, I don't know, processes that I don't really understand. But it can be released. And if it's being released, then it can form these little pockets in Mm -hmm. like just under the surface and then if you've got a little pocket of water you know that's quote-unquote volatile meaning that it'll sort of like bubble up and and burst if it's exposed to vacuum yeah so they think that maybe it could be little pockets of water that sort of burst and kick all this ejecta up okay that's cool reminds me of a great youtube video one of those like slow-mo ones where they just blow stuff up but this guy (laughs) makes uh molten salt and pours it into water that sounds crazy. Yeah, and it just heats up, it heats up the water so fast that there's an explosion. Really? Yeah, because the, it expands and has to leave. So that's not, really crazy. Not what's happening on Bennu. There's no molten salt, but but yeah, I mean they they sort of looked into a bunch of other hypotheses too, and they sort of methodically step through and rule out the other ones. Like there's things that could be oh well, since Bennu is rotating, then eventually the centrifugal force will fling stuff off, and they say that couldn't really work electrostatic lofting i thought this was crazy never heard of that yeah there's like well so this happens on the moon Mm -hmm. and they think that it's why the moon has like this like halo and that there's like dust like floating on the moon all the time oh so solar wind plasma impacts these rocks and it charges up the rock so it has an actual electric field wow and then other little micro particles are charged and so then they get repelled from the surface that's awesome yeah what's it called lofting it's called electrostatic lofting do spiders fly on that? 
Yeah. Yeah. They actually observed spiders ballooning off of Bennu. That's it's a deep cut to episode one. <laughs> yeah. Why do spiders fly? Wow. Okay. That's cool, though. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. But they also sort of rule that explanation out here. Uh, ice sublimation could cause this. So if there was ice, which is uh, at the surface would be like just boiling off into a gas immediately, the gas as it rises away actually would produce a drag on rocks and hmm. it would like push the rocks. But they also, they say that there's no actually no ice on Bennu. So that couldn't really work. Wow. That's amazing that there's water. Sorry, just to get back on that. Adsorbed onto these yeah. rocks. I feel like we grew up at a time when like we weren't even sure if there was other water in the solar system. Yeah, but it's everywhere everywhere and that's why that's why they like to study these things as a clue to the quote-unquote origins of the earth because i mean that could be that's probably where our water on earth came from is from asteroids like this all these places yeah yeah anyway cool. so i mean yeah were there any other interesting findings or sort of like yeah you know the goal the goal of studying Bennu is to like better understand the origins of the universe but is there any so there was one th- last thing that they talked about in the conclusion uh-huh. Uh, which I thought was really cool. So they say, you know, if Bennu has been doing this for a long time, some of these particles are getting launched out of Bennu's orbit, mm-hmm. which means that now they're just free floating in orbit around the sun. Yeah. And they say that if you have a bunch of this stuff collecting over time, um, they said planetary perturbations would spread the stream wide enough to cause an annual meteor shower on present day Earth around September 23rd. Wow. So so there could be a meteor shower resulting from the stuff that's getting thrown off of Bennu. And they that's can so pinpoint cool. exactly when it would happen. And they also pinpoint exactly where it would originate in the sky. That's crazy. Yeah. And then they also identified the time scale over which this material would have to collect in order for it to cause a meteor shower. And they say that Bennu would have had to have been active in the past, like before 1500 AD. So the material would have been having to collect since before, like, you know, 500 years ago for us to observe a meteor shower. And then they go through the database and they find out there's actually no meteor shower that we know of that occurs in that location on around those dates. Wow. And so they kind of, they're kind of hinting there, like, we think Bennu has only been active recently. Uh-huh. Because otherwise we would have a meteor shower, which would be really cool. That would be so cool to be visiting. I don't know. It would make the like the solar neighborhood feel a little smaller, you know? Yeah. To be like, oh, that's the Bennu meteor shower. We've been there. Yeah. Because usually, I mean, you know, there are meteor showers from like the tails of comets and stuff that we're passing through, Mm -hmm. but it all feels very distant and you're like, where are these particles coming from? It sort of, it connects a lot of dots. It does. Yeah. You're like, this is where it came from yeah this is the origin also like do you remember being a kid and learning about math and math class and you're like okay i can calculate my groceries but like yeah when is like this when does this become creative or interesting and you're like this is a prime example of creative math yes just it's like just using basic math to be like well meteor shower (laughs) from particles that left uh an asteroid 500 years ago that we have now been to and are about to land on Wow. That's pretty crazy. That's sweet. And to calculate your grocery list. Both very useful. Yeah. Nice. Well, was there anything else you wanted to talk about or is that pretty much the bulk of it? Yeah, that's it. Uh, I mean, that's it. 
that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that was a billion dollars worth of research right there. But yes, it's amazing, though. So, I mean, what I was kind of stricken with was like, when we talk about these missions and you're like, well, the goal of the mission is to return a sample. And you just kind of think that that's, what it, that's just what it's doing. But there's so much like tangential science that gets done just by being up close. Yeah. That you could never have even predicted that we would have been able to see. Absolutely. That's like, that's the reason for going is that we don't know. Yes. Which yeah. is like, uh, I don't know. I think it's hard. It's hard for a lot of these like pure sciences and space exploration. Because that's the point. So we don't know. Yeah. But I, I'm so excited for like future missions to these asteroids and meteors like we've talked about. Like, you know, you brought it up. The fact that we've only been to so few, I don't know. You know, in my mind, they're all just big chunks of rock. So it's like, they're probably all the same. But, but like, not at all. Like, they all look so different. And there are so many. Yeah. Like, there, I think New Horizons took a picture of an asteroid. Or it was like a Kuiper Belt object or something that it got sort of close to. And it looked like this giant, um, like a peanut, but like in the shell, you know. It had like two lobes. Whoa. And so from that, they could tell that it was actually two objects that had collided and like were still in the process of like coalescing that's so crazy and it's like every single one that we go see is so different it's a, i mean the moon analogy is perfect like you said there's hundreds of moons in our solar system and no two are anything like each other yeah it's it's nuts it's yeah and it's we so and cool, you know there we know like next to nothing about most of them yeah we've basically not, not even been close to them we've just like taken pictures from afar yeah well that's cool this is a great paper thanks yeah. for bringing this one in i'm i can't wait to actually like follow the news when osiris rex collects its sample and then uh when when is it again that the sample should be returned well the sample won't so it's going to collect the sample in august 2020 and then uh -huh. it's going to leave Bennu in 2021 and return to earth in 2023 damn okay so I'll admit, I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Like, it would have been cooler to do an Osiris-Rex episode when it collects the sample in August 2020, which we still will. I think we still will. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, doing it now when, A, there's been a lot of headlines about it recently. Yeah. B, there's really cool science that just came out. And then C, is that I think it'll give you a lot more context when the real news starts hitting about Osiris-Rex. Like, right now, I feel like it's more of a, it's maybe more of like a niche mission if if you know what i mean like it's most probably people, my second favorite interplanetary mission <laughs> yeah like most people in kind of our community are well aware of it but i don't think that if you walk down the street most people would have heard of osiris rex the way that everyone has heard of the curiosity rover for example absolutely because yeah. it hasn't done its main thing yet yeah like it's big sexy final thing so totally you're so bringing the bringing the fringe into the mainstream well, yeah. So, I mean, I just hope that this sort of puts it into your minds so that when this stuff starts coming up later, you can it, wow your friends with how much you already know about Osiris-Rex. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Just to add one more caveat to it's nothing we haven't really said yet, but it's like, you know, even if everything fails on Osiris-Rex right now, it's like it it's doing science the entire time. The mission's still a success. Even if that part fails. I don't think they'll actually consider it a success. I was going to say, like, in pedantic terms, like, well, if technically the objective and requirements are this, and it doesn't meet them. No, I mean, they, they won't be a success, but, we, but we'll it, still have learned a lot. In my mind, yes, we've easily gotten $800 million worth out of this mission. Yeah. Even without returning the sample, you know? Yes. 
To put that into context too, $800 million, that's like if half of America bought a cup of coffee. Or to put that into context, our government bailed out car companies and banks for $800 billion 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. We could have sent 1,000 Osiris Rexes. Yeah. Let's not get it. I won't get political. That's just making me feel bad. But I mean, the scale of money we're talking about here is like 800 million sounds like a lot of money. But when you're talking about government expenditures, like we are spending, I mean, we're getting huge. It's less than the price of an F-35. Yeah, exactly. For one jet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, on that happy note, if you enjoyed this episode, (laughs) check us out on social media, Paperboys, Pod. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, we do a lot of space episodes. People have commented that there's some of their favorites uh obviously me and charlie are pretty jazzed about space <laughs> missions but um yeah let us know what you think also if we miss anything feel free to shoot us article recommendations paperboyspod at gmail.com or via messaging on any of the social media platforms yeah i mean if you listen to our year in review episode last week you'll see like there's just so much that we really want to get to that we can't and uh i would say maybe like 20 percent of the episodes we've done have been listener recommendations yeah we so and so we love them like just keep them coming yeah especially if it's about space especially space also please check out our patreon patreon.com slash paperboyspod it would really honestly mean the world to me and james uh to have your support the people who are already supporting we are extremely thankful of and we really love to interact with them and we feel like they get to sort of commune with the show in a way that is totally different than you get from just listening to the regular weekly episodes truthfully i think the the bonus episodes are some of our best. They're interesting topics. Um, they are our best. I'll sell it harder. <laughs> they are, yeah. Well, uh, you know, we treat topics that aren't necessarily like right in the news right now, but they're things that you've heard of or are readily discussed all the time. If only if only for the water cooler chats that these episodes will give you, um, I yeah. think it's totally worth it. They're, they're always more topically relevant. And also because we do them once a month, James and I have more time to spend sort of preparing them and researching them. So we pull from a lot more sources than we normally do. And we kind of dive into like weird, silly, funny, extra sources like that we don't typically have the time for here on the regular show. Yeah. Um, and, so, and since we both read it, I think the conversation just yes. has more chance to get a little deeper into the subject matter. Yeah, we catch each other's sort of gaps in the knowledge. And, uh, and on top of all that, it's pie dollars a month. It's like basically the cost of one cup of coffee. Much less than the cost of an interplanetary mission. Yeah, just just shy of an Osiris-Rex. Um, yeah, so. So hopefully we're, yeah, anyway. Check I'll, it out. Yeah, I'll, I've sold it enough. And uh, <laughs> yeah, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paperboys. Boys.